Relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Good afternoon, everyone. Rich Swerbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly walk through all the latest news and happenings in the mortgage industry. Each week, I select one of our lender members to be my co-host and back in the co-pilot seat for, God, this has got to be like the fifth or sixth time, CEO of Eustace Mortgage, TMC board member, longtime TMC believer and member, Kate Decay. Kate, great to see you. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me. And if you couldn't tell by our opening show banter, Kate, uh, in the city of New Orleans and a huge Saints fan, just getting caught up on the off-season trials and tribs of of the Saints. Uh, But uh, Kate, uh, maybe just a little background on Eustace uh, for our listeners and a little mini profile of the company before we get into it. Sure. I'd love to. So um, here we are, and we have been in business for over 65 years. So I always like to leave there as an independent mortgage banker. Um, That's something I'm really proud of. Um, We have most of our footprint here in Texas and Louisiana, headquartered out of New Orleans, Louisiana, the home of our lovely saints. And uh, we've been steadily growing year over year. So we're um, licensed in almost 20 states now, brick and mortar, and a little bit less than half of those. Um, And just continuing on our growth path, I laugh at um, our goals because they've been to stay flat, which we've been (laughs) successful in doing since 2020. Um, And I think that was a big accomplishment for us. And we did that through growth. Um, So we're primarily retail shop and tiny bit of wholesale um, for a little bit of background about kind of our, what we're really good at and that's retail. And you had the final four there. That's right. This past uh, weekend, great game last night, great final four games and a lot of shots at Bourbon Street. I saw Cafe Demand, uh, you know, some shots of that that establishment and people chomping on beignets. It's definitely nice to have um, some tourism back in the city. I've been seeing people walking around. You can tell they're here for the, the game. So it's been nice. Good stuff. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. And we're kind of talking in the lead in like never a dull moment in the mortgage industry. It's, it seems like it's either it's we're so busy and crazy and it's tough to focus on non-pipeline things. And now things have slowed down and the climate's just changing in general. And like the the underpinning of all that is just rising rates and rising home values. Um, hasn't really depressed there's, I feel like just very, very strong purchase demand out there. The inventory uh, side of it is is restrictive, obviously, but just your general thoughts on the business climate as we head into the second quarter of 22 here. Yeah, you know, um, it's never a dull moment in mortgage. Uh, given the 65-year background, uh, I at least feel like we have some understanding of the ebbs and flows that we all experience in this industry. Um, you know, we go from crazy busy, um, in a really uh, positive way, although uh, we're always busy, it seems, even when you go into kind of this direction, then you're busy for different reasons and um, you know solving different problems than you were before. So it's always fun. Um, luckily, I like a wild ride, so <laughs> here we are. Um, but you know, with the with mortgage rates, 
it's a lot of what everyone was expecting. I think the speed for which they've risen is a, is a little bit um, less what people were expecting. Um, and I think it's a combination of just the speed in which rates are increasing and all of the other uh, factors that we have coming into play with inflation, you know, invasion in Ukraine, et cetera, that just um, make this market really unpredictable. Yeah, it's, you know, you already got the the inventory headwinds and, you know, the rates, to your point, rising just quicker than we thought. It's every year, it seems like the economists predict a slow ascent of the 30-year fixed rate into something in the mid to the high fours. We kind of got that very quickly here in Q1 and uh, further pinch on just affordability uh, when you couple that with, with home values that are going up. I mean, the markets you're in in Texas and Louisiana, I would imagine, same thing. Probably not a lot of homes under three, 400,000 that are out there to be bought. For sure. Um, you know, affordability is a whole other conversation, which I know we've had numerous times in these chats before. Um, you know, you throw in what we're seeing with inventory right now and just the lack of, and you really kind of throw a lot of those uh, those particular programs out of the window because unfortunately sellers aren't even willing to accept them. You know, to purchase a home, you have to throw everything at the seller as far as what your offer looks like um, and, and that um, more government loan products, I, th- I feel like is also suffering. Um, and with inventory, you know, we, we saw such a glutton uh, of inventory pre-boom and then everything kind of just went flat and now builders just can't keep up um the pace and even though it's certainly gotten to the point that they realize okay the demand is there so you know 2020 builders see the demand but now everybody's just still trying to catch up and that's just the common thread here from all over um internally and external is people the buyers are there (laughs) You know, we have free approvals out the wazoo, but there's no inventory to even purchase. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And of note, over the course of the last week, the Dallas Federal Reserve made some big headlines in our industry uh, when they came out and suggested that a housing, the word that terrifies everybody in or associated with real estate bubble. Uh, a bubble could be brewing, uh, citing that uh, just signs that home prices are, quote unquote, becoming unhinged from fundamental fundamentals like they did in the bubble that preceded the 08 crash. They, they then went on to say that they were not fearful, that we would have a repeat of all the really collateral damage that we saw in 07 and 08 due to stronger fundamentals in, in other areas. But uh, also going on to say that uh, our evidence points to abnormal U.S. housing market behavior for the first time since the boom in the early 2000s, citing data uh, that they use to measure what they call exuberance on property markets. So got a lot of people talking for sure. For sure. And, uh, you know, at this point, I, it's, I've been talking about this for a long time. It's starting to worry me because I don't see anything that is going to... I. I think that the pandemic created housing demand. I think it just—I think it just boosted housing demand nationally, just kind of organically, like the home and where people live 
um, because they spent a lot of time in it and more people are now working from home. So it just boosted this demand. And then you had, we already had inventory and supply issues. And so we keep, you know, getting all these reports about, oh, there's no supply, no supply, no supply, and prices keep going up, rates are up, but people still keep buying the houses that are out there. I'm a little worried that this, if this keeps happening, something's got to give, right? You know, I'm still going to stick with just your early assumptions, which is I I'm still on the train of it's home price growth, but I, I don't see the bubble. Um, now, I suppose if we continue to see just and in, in, you know what we're seeing right now, um, if this extends for you know a year, two years, um, which you know we're going to at least be in this for a little bit longer. So I, I can certainly see a bubble um, if we are increasing that much you know, double digits, um, over the next two years, but I, I have to still believe it's just price growth and that we're not in a bubble because number one, we don't have that inventory. So if you don't, if people are still going to be around to purchase, which we know they will, because, um, you know, that demographic and age range that are out purchasing now and that, you know, MBA projected, is the reason why they've increased kind of their, their purchase percentage and their purchase business over 2022. Um, we know that that group of folks still exist. Um, we know they are still going to need houses. We know that inventory is a struggle. Um, but I just, I don't see that we get into a bubble unless things just completely take a turn. We don't have the crazy products. Um, so I think we're just at a really unhealthy stage of inventory, which is causing the bidding wars. Hopefully we'll see some relief there soon. And we just won't create too much price growth based off of those bidding wars. And, you know, appraisals will certainly keep that in check to an extent. Yeah. And, you know, the word, many great points there. And the word bubble is synonymized with what happened in 07 and 08, where we had things way crazier than anything going on right now that led to a really massive correction. People who put little to no money down and saw the value of their home plummet, um, really becoming prisoners in their own homes, you know, and, and negative equity and really could, a lot of people just walking away from <laughs> homes that they owed far more on than they were worth different dynamics. Now people have lots of equity. Um, home prices have been going up very aggressively. Um, but you know, I think to me, the more the most likely scenario is values keep going up for, you know, we've been at this like 10 to 20% clip for a couple of years now, uh, annualized. Uh, and then there's some sort of correction. It's not catastrophic, but, you know, catches maybe some people on the back end of that off guard, but uh, going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. And uh, as we always, you know, we should laugh at ourselves for trying to predict anything because, you know, <laughs> nothing goes as planned in, in the world or in our industry. I mean, you can't predict COVID-19. You can't predict a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, so as new variables come in play, of course, this conversation could be completely different in a few months from now. And we say, oh, no, there's a bubble. But I'm going to stay on the it's not a bubble and we should just continue to see maybe that 20% price growth. 
Yeah, the only thing that you can predict in this industry is that whatever we predict is going to be wrong. It seems like <laughs> that's a, my 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 every year I do a little predictions column at the end of the year. I'm like this year I'm just like screw it. I'm making this thing completely satirical. At least it can make people laugh. And uh-huh. like sadly though, some of the stuff in there that I meant to be satire, like some of that stuff may actually end up keep coming true. God help us all. So um, what else do we have in the news here, Kate? Uh, oh, interesting report that came out just a couple of days ago. CoreLogic uh, hosts to lots and lots of real estate data um, with some interesting trends just on national movement. It was uh, really the, the most notable part of the report was uh, less home buying people under 30 because of the aforementioned affordability issues. Uh, and then some trends of home buyers under 30 moving from the coast, from California, from Florida, more to the middle part of the country, um, either mountain states or Midwest states, like a couple of the ones that you're located in that have more favorable business climates, maybe lower taxes, um, a lot of migration um, to uh, yeah, states in Utah and uh, Idaho and Texas. And, uh, but it's, I think this is another byproduct of the pandemic. We're seeing just population movement across America based on changing preferences and the different climates, real estate and business in different states across America. Yeah. Just like we talked about, we can't predict things <laughs> a few years ago. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's a lot of this is caused by COVID. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a bad um, cause from uh, COVID given the locations that people feel like they can move now, they can work from that work from anywhere model is most employers models at this point. So, um, and especially for that age range that kind of pushes more towards uh, freedom. So I think, you know, people realize they can move anywhere. And then, just like you said, affordability, um, it's going to be a lot easier for someone to purchase a home in these areas um, at that at that age range than it is going to be in California or somewhere along the East Coast. So they see it as an affordability and quality of life play, and it makes sense. This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. This week, joined in the co-host seat by the CEO of Eustace Mortgage, Kate K. And uh, another piece of news that broke this week, something that the tea leaves have been out there for on a while now, and that's looks like the government's going to get involved on the appraisal side of our business and a couple different reports that have come out over the course of the last several months, just really kind of indicating that uh, the appraisal industry in America, not a lot of sound oversight. Uh, certainly some discrepancies, whites and non-whites, similar properties that were appraising different and um, some you know, potential cases of uh, just the home value bias that, that we've seen. So a uh, few things going on in this arena, but uh, there is a bill that is in Congress, a draft bill that would call for uh, the scrapping of the, I guess, overseers of the appraisal industry right now called the Appraisal Foundation and to uh, replace it with an independent federal agency. I don't know if you've been following along on any of that news and if you got any thoughts on that. So I find it pretty interesting kind of where, or the lack of our growth, I should say, on the appraisal side over the last years. You know, 
I can't, it's terrible, but I can't even remember when they implemented um, the UCD where we're, you know, uploading all of the information in an XML format. So with the intent of getting more of the appraisal waivers or having um, the agencies having more information so they can make better decisions for the housing market. And you would, you know, I, I feel like a lot of that comes into play with what we're seeing right now. And, um, you know, automation shouldn't be able to have a bias, although I know I've also seen <laughs> automation can be biased. So that's, you know, all very interesting. But um, if we're you know talking about anything that is not going to be biased, it should be automation. Um, so I'm definitely disappointed at the level that we have not gotten to um, as far as appraisal waivers or, um, you know, with the changes to a desktop appraisal. I, I don't know about most others out there, but I really feel like that was an ineffective um, change or something that agencies thought was going to be a big win for um, us, but really did not affect us at all. Um, meaning appraisers are still going to charge the same amount. It's less uh, valuable data with those desktop appraisals. And I, I don't think they'll be widely used. So I certainly think that there is room to have um, multiple changes around appraisals and how we do them now. And, you know, I'm all for um, an agency or a group that would come about that would help the bias and, and also just improve the way we're utilizing the data that we certainly have to have at this point. Yeah, I think, you know, normally, I mean, government getting involved in anything with an industry that you're in is typically not good news. But in this case, I think you're right, right? I mean, it's, it's to me, so much more of this should be automated. There's so much data on housing, especially all the refinances that have been done now these last couple of years and uh, in-person and uh, desktop or drive-by appraisals that have been done. It, it seems like we should be building a national database on home values that would lead to more appraisal waivers, more desktops, true effective efficiency saving appraisal options. And it's like the two part, like when the pandemic first hit, I remember talking on calls like these, like, okay, this is obviously a horrible thing that's going on right now, but as it relates to our industry, e-close should be fast tracked, right? This should, by the end of 2020, everybody should be e-closing everything that never happened. And then the other piece was, yeah, uh, appraisal waivers. We're starting to see more from the beginning of the pandemic and all these talk of more desktops and it just never really played out how we had hoped it would. Yeah, um, certainly agreement on not liking government to jump in, but um, I think there are certain situations that, of course, um, if we can better practice without putting crazy oversight, isn't that always the key, but <laughs> also hard to accomplish. Yeah. And, you know, I will say we've now had a chance to hear her speak a few times, got a chance to meet her and have breakfast with her uh, at our conference. The director of FHFA, Sandra Thompson, uh, you know, I, I'm certainly a tell it like it is guy. And I'm just very impressed by her. She seems very genuine. She seems incredibly knowledgeable. She seems very, very tuned in to what's going on in housing in America. She's reaching out to mortgage lenders like she couldn't accept our invite quick enough to come out and speak at our conference because she wants to hear from the people that are financing the American dream. Like what a novel concept, like, you know, and uh, it does give me, it makes me hopeful 
um, you know, when, when you see the government getting involved in things like where it could make sense for them to, to get a little bit more involved, like appraisals and modernizing that whole thing, um, because you have housing leaders that, that seem to be more tuned in to our side of the industry. Yeah. And I am, I'm going to say obsessed with Sandra Thompson. Though. That sounds a little crazy, but just in interviewing her for the conference, you know, however many months back, um, not this last one, which I know she was able to attend with us in person. Um, she is definitely a breath of fresh air for what we needed in that department. Um, and I feel much more confident with her at the helm of what change may look like that it will be, you know, for the positive and not just to add layers to us, but to actually create the change that is typically what the person's intent is. It just doesn't come out that way. Um, I definitely think that she is willing to listen um, to what IMBs and just uh, any um, mortgage banker has to say um, and make change based off of that. Absolutely. And, you know, we were, we were able to have breakfast with her the morning before she spoke. Kate's on our lender board and invited our lender board. She wanted to have breakfast with our with our lender board. You just she genuinely wanted to hear feedback from CEOs. Kate, like you running company for 65 years and uh, ways that uh, from her seat, uh, you know, they can and she can help play a role in making housing and housing finance smoother uh for your customers americans home buyers and it's, we haven't had a lot of that with our housing leaders in america recent history here this is changing yeah, in two weeks you have to prepare though right yeah right right <laughs> a day tomorrow <laughs> effective no yeah. and i know um one of the topics we were considering in this conversation was um, FHFA discussing um, the end of conservatorship again for GSEs. And, um, you know, my comments to something like that is a lot different now than previously, which would be, I feel like she will do it the correct way. And it's not going to be that change that we talked about that's, you know, affected the next day. It's, it's going to be with communication with folks like us and hopefully many steps in place to get to a, um, a healthy market where the end of conservatorship makes sense. She seems like the type of person in candidate that even if a Republican were to win the a White House in a little over a couple of years, that she could still serve on. You know, we, we've seen, you know, presidents in the past. I mean, it, it seems like the political environment's just so rancorous right now. Okay. But like back in Bush and Clinton, like they kept on the good people that were the opposite party from them that were heads of departments or divisions. So maybe that'll happen. You mentioned that, yeah, she made some news, Sandra, this week by coming out and saying that she's preparing the GSEs for the end of conservatorship. And she has to do that. I mean, I, at some point, it's going to make sense for that to happen. Uh, to your point, I would argue not now. But that's the other thing I like about her is she's she's well bent. Like Calabria is just like, you know, get get the G like hell or high water, get the GSEs out from under government conservatorship, which would have been, I believe, a disaster. And but she's trying to balance it all. She's trying safety and soundness and to prepare the GSEs, um, you know, for what lies ahead. At the same time, you know, trying to use Fannie and Freddie to if it's going to be what I think will have coming will be a, a change and a reduction in loan level price adjustments. She didn't promise anything there, but hinted that. Oh, no, she made like a joke about how they've been the same since it's been like 
13 years or something since, since they've, you know, like has nothing changed, everything's changed except the LLPAs. And so, um, so it, it feels like something, and I feel like the whole cash out, I mean, the second home and the investment property pullbacks, uh, you know, that was a precursor to, to probably some reductions in the LLPAs, but uh, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Government right now is potentially, you know, a very big, variable in our industry um you know not only with things that are already in the works but you know if this home price my fear is that the home price thing if we get to june and home prices are still appreciating 20 percent annualized we're looking at essentially 50 percent home appreciation in three years that it becomes a main street issue it becomes a voter issue and it's going to cause all these politicians that have no clue what they're doing to, you know, start mm-hmm. talking about it. Mucking it. Houses. <laughs> or, who knows? Yeah, yeah I, I do feel uh, it's unfortunate, though, because we are to the point, though, you know, even I had a call with Freddie earlier and it, it's a lot about affordability. But without any there is no ability to offer or have that be successful without inventory. Um, even in markets like New Orleans, where it's certainly um, available, it it's just we have to determine a way to be able to get there, um, and we're well behind in that category too. It is ironic, like uh, we at TMC, we have partnerships with Fannie and Freddie, and you know meet with them regularly, and uh, you know their focus is like affordable, you know, affordable lending and uh, minorities and low to moderate income borrowers, but you just keep kind of coming like there's nothing for them to buy. There's no houses for them to buy. It feels like we're, we're, you know, working backwards and a lot of the good spirited things that Fannie and Freddie are looking to do lower LPAs or, you know, product, it would just further increase demand, mm-hmm. you know, when you kind of don't have any supply, but I don't like, it's a tough, like, I don't know, there's no, there's no good, quick, easy answers for the how do you make more hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollar homes available in America? Yeah, and you know, here in New Orleans, our inventory is aged. So, you, you know, if there were houses to go for sale, kind of that affordability needs to be tacked tacked on with the renovation financing, financing, which we have been lucky enough to work with um, Freddie and some local housing agencies to have a program that we can offer, but it's, it's a complex program. So, you know, it takes a lot of uh, consumer and real, you know, referral partner education that we certainly have to get better at before I think that could even go anywhere. Yeah. Great point. And I think that's going to be a huge part of the market these next couple of years, just renovation and rehab loans for all the reasons, all the reasons you mentioned. So this is the last week in mortgage today. Uh, Rich Swarbinski with the Mortgage Collaborative. I have a couple minutes left with the CEO of Eustace Mortgage, Kate. The K. Kate, had, it was great to see you at our conference a couple weeks ago. And uh, I don't know, just I always like to pick your brain on just, you know, your thoughts on just the general business, your conversations with people, anything you took out of it that surprised you or reinforced things you were thinking or doing. So it's funny, and I may have told you this story already, but we'll tell everybody else <laughs> that's listening. Um, so I unfortunately couldn't arrive until late, and I uh, was walking in to lunch on Monday, and you know, room full of people. Um, here I am thinking I know a ton of people in the mortgage collaborative, and it, <laughs> it took me a minute to find a table of people that I knew. Um, but even with that said, it still felt the same. Whereas you know, 
the rooms and the, uh, the speakers and everybody's very engaging. Everybody keeps uh, very open about their business practices and what they're doing. And so you still have that uh, great vibe in, in all the various meetings. Um, and of course, information flowing, which is the key to me for the mortgage collaborative. Um, and this year, um, I was lucky to host the, or I should say host judge <laughs> the tech fund meeting, which I thought was another great way. You know, y'all do the lightning rounds and kind of other ways for the vendors to be able to show what they have going on. But these are much more of up and coming vendors, um, and partners. And I thought that was a great way for people that didn't get to sit in that meeting thinking, you know, it was more of a tech judge. It's, it was also a great way to see products that are kind of just, just starting out, um, be able to get in an early stage. Kind of a look behind the curtain, the vendors that are going to be uh, calling on you six to 12 months from now, right. some emerging stuff, but no, I thought that was really cool. And that's going to be something we do just perpetually uh, the, the kind of tech, startup showcase uh that we did that you were nice enough to to judge for us and i thought that was really well done and uh yeah it was a nice nice addition so but excellent well kate always enjoy uh talking about the industry with you i appreciate the many many things you do to support tmc and uh, thanks for co-hosting with me this week thanks rich it was good seeing you Great seeing you. And to our attendees, thanks as always for spending 30 minutes with us. Uh, we're here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern with the last week in mortgage today. Uh, with our live audience and uh, we'll load these videos to YouTube uh, shortly after they, they complete. And then uh, podcast as well, where the majority of you consume it. So don't forget to follow TMC Connect on Apple or Spotify and you can have all uh, our great programming flow right into your podcast feed. So uh, until next week, have a great rest of the week, everyone. Take care. Bye, Kate. For more information about how you can get involved with TMC Connect and witness the power of the network firsthand, please visit us at mortgagecollaborative.com.